Welcome to the Revenue Accelerators Podcast, a show featuring B2B sales and business leaders. Hosted by Excelogy founder and 19-year sales veteran with leadership experience in strategic enterprise and telecom sales, Deep Trikonod. This show uncovers strategies and techniques business leaders have used to go from zero to one and beyond. If you enjoy this content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Accelerators is brought to you by Excelogy. We help B2B sales leaders improve sales performance by leveraging our patent-pending data-driven sales coaching systems. Find us at www.excelogy.com. Enjoy today's episode. Let's go. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Revenue Accelerators. Today, I'm proud to say I'm with John Ferguson. Um, John's a, a, a kind of focuses on the art of influence. In fact, he was picked up recently um, by Forbes and they had an article on him. John, welcome to the show. Um, can you uh, introduce yourself uh, probably a little bit better than I could? Sure. sure. Thank you. And Deep, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, and look forward to uh, having a conversation and connecting with your audience. Yeah, I would say just to keep it simple, what I do is sales training and development for companies that are anything from startup to I have many that are Fortune 50. So if there were a, a product in a box that is what I sell, it's sales training, it's leadership development, but all around the core of sales, sales training, working with teams that, quite frankly, have to make it happen and, and uh, have to drive influence to make it happen and eventually have to bring a, a deal or deals across the finish line. That's, that's awesome. And there's a huge need for what you do. Um, how did you get into this? Okay, so this is a good story. Um, so I'm a, I'm a facilitator, trainer, speaker uh, in the sales world, but not practiced in that field uh, other than meaning as a facilitator. Uh, I got into this because I came up through sales and have been in sales. I uh, started my career at Coca-Cola. I worked for Quaker Oats on the Gatorade brand, worked for a couple of uh, small so uh, software companies, and then joined a company called Getty Images. Getty Images that does photography, stock oh, photography. Wow. BB, you might see some of the images on BBC, CNN, Fox. Um, Major League Baseball, Premier Soccer League are all users of our images and store their images with Getty Images. Um, mm -hmm. And I was looking, and as we were growing, uh, looking for a, a, a partner, a company in the sales training world and field that could work with my then some 400 salespeople. And part of that was my sales leadership team. And I went, having grown up in the sales side, went out and did a with my L&D team a, a search, uh, went to the usual suspects that would be out there in the field that I served. And one of the ones I talked to was this company called Aslin Training and Development. And I spent um, some time with them by phone. I spent a day with them in, in one of my offices in Chicago um, with one of the founders spent the car ride back to the airport with him, which was about two hours in, in traffic. By the time I got to the airport, I really basically hired them on the spot. Uh, oh, I nice. saw the difference. Uh, I saw the receptivity message. I, I, I knew how they could work with my sales team. So I hired them and they worked with me and my team, my board, my leadership team for almost two and a half years. Not every day, of course, but building what we were, had started over the course of a couple of years. This is US. while you were at. This is while you were at Getty, or so while I'm at Getty, yeah. So they worked. You know what started in the U.S. We took to Europe, and then we took to Asia. I left Getty to run a 
a small competitor of Getty's um, down in um, down in Florida, and I lived in Chicago. When I came back, I said, you know what I'll do when I'm deciding what to do next? I'll teach very part-time at the Graduate School of Business at DePaul in Chicago. Two weeks before my first graduate class, of course, I panicked, so I called up one of the partners at Aslan's named Tom yeah. Stanfell, and I said, Tom, give me the do's and don'ts. I want to look good in front of these 14 students in a couple of weeks. Yep. And he said, John, does that mean you want to come work with us and do what we do? And I said, no, Tom, I'm just trying to get through this class. Give me the, <laughs> give me the, well, try this project. You might like it. Well, I tried it. That was about seven years ago. Not only did I like it, I fell in love with it and really found my calling. And this you, is what on, I do Sophie. now. I'm, I'm in it full time. Uh, That's awesome. I'm when you say try this, pro- sorry to yeah. interrupt. Um, yes, when you said, when you said, he said, try this project. What, what yeah. do you, what can you elaborate on that? What does that mean? Yeah. That- so this was a, this was a, and I don't do a whole lot of software, but this was a, uh, uh, East Coast based software company, 2530 mm-hmm. salespeople. They were in the field making it happen, primarily sold into the government space and just needed help getting more meetings, getting the right meetings, formulating kind of their positioning around the connection of what they were, what they were selling and how they were different than others. And then keeping it all together, particularly in the government world where they had to pull it across the finish line. And with all the red tape you get there, sometimes that was, that was pretty instrumental. But yeah, I worked with their sales teams to uh, get them a little bit better. Uh, doing what they were doing. That's that's awesome. Do you so you mentioned software? Do you focus on any type of like vertical or technology vertical? Like how how do you where, where do you find your expertise? Or is it all over the place? Is it B two B B two C? Yeah, it is. It's not a whole lot of B two C, but but primarily B two B. And interesting, everybody says, John, what industry are you in? And and um, I kind of look back over my shoulder because it's never really necessarily been planned. Um, I would say before I get to the industry, I work with sellers who have to go make it happen. Now, sometimes that's with phone, Teams, Zooms, Google Meet, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Majority of the time, that means I'm in a company car, company truck, rental car, on a plane. But I work with sellers who are in front of customers trying to create that difference between what they do and what others do, build value so that their recommendation is the chosen one. Now, having said that, as you said, are you all over the board? I am, but it's typically manufacturers. I work with companies that sell welding machines and welding supplies. I work with companies that sell gemstones and jewels. I work with companies that mine precious metals, bring them up, make products, and sell other products to those who who make products, and almost everything in between. Sometimes on the startup side, and sometimes and a lot of times on the Fortune 100, Fortune Global uh, 50 side. So. That's it awesome. is a little all over the place sometimes. So, so do you find I mean that's that's interesting because I would figure in in the in the maturity stage the various stages of maturity an organization kind of goes through in their own ev- evolution um is your does your approach change at all? So Yeah, this small- is a good question. Um this is a good question and the question comes to me like this from leaders of organizations really say hey John you know, I've got a team of people that I just hired. They're either one job removed from the job they're in. They're new out of school. They've got four months, five months, six months. We just hired them, maybe a year of experience. But John, they work with people who have been in and working for me for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, sometimes yeah. 30 years. I think my record was somebody was still at their company 40 years later, started when they were 18 years old, basically. Um, so sometimes we do things differently because of that, but more often than not, they're in the same room. And the reason is one, they're working together cross functional at some point. Mm-hmm. And two, 
the approach that we take, um, I know it's easy to say this, but it really is, it does mean this, is there's something there for everybody. I've had people who were early six months in who said, I, I can't imagine doing my job having not gone through this. And I have people who are 10, 15 years in saying, I wish I would have had this at the start of my career. And that kind of meets someplace um, in the middle. So we don't err on the side of being too elementary, if you will. And we don't err on the side necessarily of saying, well, you have to have 10, 15, 20 years plus experience to go down this path with us. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. And then I adopt it or adapt it rather for the, for the audience too. Gotcha. And typically how, like, do you, do you tend to, to coach um, one-on-one? Is it like a group setting kind of, or is it all the above? Yeah. So another great question. So if you kind of start with the center and work your way out, you know, sales training for a lot of companies, mine, Aslan and, and mine included is, is a workshop and look, you know, before and after the pandemic, if you will, that's primarily in person, mm-hmm. 20 to 25 people, two days to three days a day, uh, yep. where you roll your sleeves up. There's concepts presented. There's skills practiced. There's exercise done. There's videos watched, et cetera. And then you go home. Now, when you go back, what's the, what's the challenge? Most leaders would tell you, and I was one of them. Hey, what happens next? Because I don't want the book or the learnings to collect dust in the cube of my, of my salesperson or in the car of my salesperson. What do we do next? That's where we can go. And we do. We take the sales leaders through a coaching class. So they know mm-hmm. how to coach what we've taught and, 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 and practice to the team. Yep. I do that in a group setting or I do that not just one on one with the coach. But kind of one on two. So it's the coach and the salesperson getting coaching for me. So I actually will watch them coach their team member. And in some cases, they can watch me coach their team was, member so that they can get practice and skilled at it as well. I was about to ask, like, how do you, cause, cause the way I define it, um, and listeners might have heard this from me before, but there's coaching versus training. Mm-hmm. Training tends to be kind of a finite, at least this is the way I define it, and I could be wrong, and please don't, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, fault me for it. But uh, my opinion, I should say, is the way I define training is kind of a finite, like you mentioned, two to three day session. Sometimes happens during sales kickoffs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, when whenever there's a the sales leader says, all right, we're going to pull people out of the field and we're going to focus on sales training. And then there's a start time and then there's an end time. Whereas coaching is kind of ongoing, right? And so I was going to ask you that, like, how do you, how do you ensure or how do you follow up or, um, like hold people accountable that the, what they've been trained on now they're actually using? And then where, like the results, there's a whole kind of ecosystem around improving sales performance, which, which, you know, calls for accountability. It calls to your point for someone's got to be a coach throughout the process because you can kind of teach the concepts up front, but then kind of monitor their use and application of those concepts over time mm-hmm. to ultimately help their, their progress and help their performance. So that was going to be a question. Now, when you work with the sales leaders, the managers that t- tend to become the coaches, is there a follow through on that for you? Like, is it just the training of the coaching? Or is there also kind of, um, um, yeah, like a follow throughout the year, you know, for the next yeah. n number of months? So this is a great question, and I'll answer that a couple of ways. Um, the, the answer is it's needed. So your question about follow-up and coaching and even how to learn how to be a good coach 100%. Uh, is, part of that, is part of that follow-up. Um, 
for those uh, in your audience and those that will or those that already follow me on LinkedIn, um, I'm a big proponent of this, but I, I believe the difference between a good sales organization and a great sales organization is in the quality of and the cadence of their frontline sales leaders coaching. So if I'm in the field trying to make it happen, if I'm behind a Zoom or a Teams call trying to make it happen, where the real magic is or real the real lever is, is who I work for. If I get good coaching and it comes with some regular cadence, in other words, coaching, feedback, alignment, mm-hmm. I'm going to be better at what I do. If I'm handed a phone, a company car, or a credit card and say, just go make it happen, call me if you need me, <laughs> yep. uh, that has a tendency to kind of move the other, to move the other way. Totally. You, you mentioned something else that's, that's important. And I, I start the conversation with, with leaders, CEOs, L and D teams, et cetera, by saying this, you know, whether it's, a sales kickoff, whether it's a one day, whether it's a two day or whether it's a three day and you use the word pull them out of the field. And certainly prior to and now we're getting back into in person during the pandemic. It was Zoom or Teams typically. Um, the magic doesn't happen there. That's the introduction. Yes. So I'm working with teams saying, hey, you're great. Let's get you a little better. Here's some skills based on some competencies that we know will help you be more efficient, be better, have better conversations, break through, get ghosted less, go down the list. And we practice those. But if that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when you go back Friday, if you don't try this or if you don't practice this, and certainly if you don't have a a, a coach who is going to hold you accountable in a good way, like yep. I want to help you, let's yep. practice this, let's see this. It's just not going to happen, right? It would be like an athlete going to practice three days and saying, I'm good. Yeah. Right. I'm ready. Uh, I can play the rest of the season. Put me in. I'll be a starter. We've done our three days ready to go. Yeah. No, our job, right. like our, our chosen profession, as some choose to be, you know, to, to, to be athletes or whatever is sales. And every day we have a choice. We can get a little better or we'll get a little worse. You never arrive. You never say, I got this. I'm there. So is, who's going to hold you accountable to that? Your sales leaders. So we at Aslan have a very specific program for that. It's called Catalyst, Agent for Change. We talk about four dials. One of the dials is the, the results dial. Where do we want to go? Mm-hmm. And the reason I don't say always sales is because that results can be different for when I work with CEOs. So it could be their head of finance, their head of IT, the HR yeah. leader. But underneath those dials is leading, managing, and coaching. What kind of a leader am I? That can be adjusted. Kind of a manager am I? That's the KPIs, the performance, percent of plan, average order size, how are you doing, what's your activity levels? But the big one is coach. How am I doing as a coach to help you get to where you want to go? So until that's implemented or until you commit to implementing that, I'm going to I'm going to be really good at what I do with your team. I'm really going to give them some some tools and some competencies to do their job better. But there's a limit to that because they're going to get busy. They're going to forget it. They're going to kind of go back to what was comfortable for us. And sometimes we need a coach to help us get it to move away from that. that. So yeah. that's awesome. That that's that's great. Um, have you found that? I mean, in my in my experience, in my travels, a lot of the sales managers that you're co- turning into coaches, they're just former all star salespeople. Yeah. Like they're not necessarily, you know, they, they didn't go to the school of sales management to learn how to be a sales manager and not all of them are great managers. Um, so like, how do you, the, the dynamics, cause that, you know, from uh, some of them in, in, in my travels, cause the, the ones that are, that are all stars that are ballers, um, they have a right to be arrogant. They know what they're doing for themselves, but 
that doesn't mean they can teach others to do it to be as successful. And so how do you, how do you approach that type of individual who kind of thinks he's got it? He knows it all. Well, my analogy is this. If you're a great fighter pilot and, and you're one of the best who flies airplanes, unless you can teach others how to take off and land and fly the airplane, you're not going to get scale in your business. You're not going to get scale in your squadron, you're, you know? Yep. And so I caution high performing salespeople. And this is a epidemic kind of thing. We, you know, you work for me. I'm the CEO. You work for me. You're outstanding. Uh, I see the numbers you deliver and I put you in there at uh, the next level up and I say, get the team to do what you do. Yep. Right. And suddenly it gets hard. And uh, in fact, I was just in Atlanta, uh, Tuesday with a group of leaders doing, doing a workshop for several different leaders from industries. A couple of times a year, I bring them together. And one of the participants says, as I said, kind of what are your challenges? He says, uh, just exactly what you said, Deep, you know, my coaching style initially is, why aren't you doing what I did for you? Um, just do it this way. Yep. And I realize that that's a shortcoming. So I need to get better at kind of this leading, managing and coaching. And then really the six, six steps around coaching. Have I given proper feedback? Did they, did they give their point of view on, on how things mm -hmm. are working? And then find this alignment. And that's a word I've used earlier and just want to make sure I draw reference to it. If you're not aligned with your team member on where we want to go, and this is up and to the right improvement, this isn't yep. performance improvement plans. This is alignment around, hey, love what you're doing here. Let's let's work on this area. If you don't have that alignment, change is not going to happen. Yeah. So that alignment comes through the coaching conversations. And the best coaches are great salespeople who raise their hand and say, I'm good at sales. I need to learn coaching now. Yeah. I can help with that. To your point, if oh, I got it, I'm good. They'll do what I do. That gets very challenging very fast. Definitely. Um, so I'm going I'm to kind of pivot a little bit. One of the things I ask all my guests as a regular basis is to share a war story or two in their travels, kind of things that aren't like, I mean, you come from the training background, like you mm -hmm. have years of experience in that. I'm not sure. And you can, you don't need to put a name on it, but it could be one of your students in your, in your, in your sessions. It could be yourself coming up in the, in the sales world. But like, is there a war story that, that the, the listeners might be able to learn from kind of putting themselves in your, in your shoes for a little bit? If you can kind of paint that picture and, and, and teach us something. You know, there, 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 there are many and, 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 you know, war stories is a, is an interesting way to put it. There are things that we all do that kind of contribute to our unsuccess. Yes. Um, from a sales standpoint, you know, we have a habit of leading with our solution and I see emails, voicemails, LinkedIn requests going out all the time. Hey, my name is, I work for, this is what I sell. We're really mm -hmm. good. I'm just reaching out to see if there's an opportunity to work with you and. It immediately gets deleted or ignored and, and salespeople are like, well, why am I, why am I getting ghosted? And you know, I look at yeah. the email and I go, well, who would read this? You know, um, on the sales leadership side, you know, what I see from sales leaders is a little bit of what you said, but, um, you know, I was just describing this on Tuesday, you know, a typical sales coaching for, let's just say a, somebody managing a remote team. If you work for me deep in St. Louis and I'm in Chicago, I'm going to probably tell you, Hey, your day out, let's work together on Tuesday next week. Okay. Yeah. Or two weeks from now. You say, great. What time are you getting in, John? I go, Oh, my flight lands at 830. You're like, perfect. I'll pick you up at the airport. Yeah. Well, and I actually worked with a client. This was the problem. So, you know, 830 becomes 840 with a little bit of delay. Maybe it's 850. You're there. You're waiting for me in the, the, the mobile lot with the cell phone lot. Pick me up. What's the first thing I say to you? Oh, where are we going to go? What do you want me to do? What's yeah. my role? Right. 
we do that once, we do that twice, we might have lunch with the client. Now it's like one thirty, two o'clock, and we're driving to our third client, and I say, I say what every salesperson wants to hear. Hey, Deep, how far is the airport from here? <laughs> and the salesperson's like, oh, boss, you never know. Like, as soon as we better keep this call brief, and as soon as we're done, we better get you back to the airport. Yeah. What time's your flight? Six o'clock? Oh, yeah, I would. I don't want to make you late. Well, is that coaching? No, because as soon as that call's done, they're going to the airport. Of oh, course, yeah. they're there early because traffic wasn't as bad. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> you know, and, and the salesperson or the sales leaders kind of one foot out of the car, one foot in at the curb again saying, Hey, deep, good job. If you need anything, just give me a call. Yep. No coaching. So what I've done and what I counsel in this particular client was trying to drive their new employees to get percent, get their percent of quota from 18 months to under 12 months or 11 mm -hmm. and a half months. I looked at their coaching. And I said, that's the problem. It's, 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 it's a third of a day, half of a day at best. I said, try this for six months. Go in the night before, come in with a plan, Yep. have coffee or something in the morning, discuss that plan, go to a full three-quarter day of meeting, then meet someplace afterward. I mean, go full off, go to a coffee shop, go to you know, grab a drink, do something if it's late enough in the day, and really get a debrief on how everything went, and then offer to take an Uber to the airport, not have the salesperson drive you there. Now you got a full day. Yeah. Okay? And when you do that, they get the coaching they need. And when you do it right, it's something they want to have happen because you've been helpful. If you do it wrong and you're just there and it's checks and balances and big brother, they'll make up every excuse, to, one, to get you back to the airport on time, or sorry, early, <laughs> or yes. two, to do it less. Oh, I'm busy today. I'm out of town. This client's not there, whatever it is. So those are a couple of things that I see that I try to correct course on that can lead to war stories. So um, so those are the things I try to make sure our team, team avoids, whether on the sales side my team's avoid on the sales side or on the sales leadership side. And and have you ever, I'm sure you have, but I'm kind of curious what it looks like getting pushback on that change in approach. Cause you're, you're asking them to change the way they do things, right? So they, they're like, I got this. I, this is what I do. It works for me. It's working for my team. And you're asking them to change it. Um, that like, cause there's, there's a couple things, right? So there, it requires a little bit of, I guess, humility for them to say, okay, John, I'm going to listen to you. Like sure does, sure, yeah. the, 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 the CEO, the CRO is going to be the one who brings you in. But mm -hmm. then there's going to be people that are kind of being whipped into shape, so to speak. And you have to do the whipping and they're going to, they're going to kind of come kicking and screaming. They're not going to be happy about it. And so the, the first question I, that comes to mind is how do you, get them to change their mindset in the moment to where like, just, just hear me out. Like, mm -hmm. let's let, just try this for a little bit. And you know, like how do you, and then I have a follow up to that actually, but if you, if you can kind of, let me, well, I'll start there. So, because this is a great question for us to accomplish me, Aslan, anybody in my space who's listening and for us to accomplish what we have to accomplish, we have to practice what we preach. Right. So if yep. you're selling, you need a customer to be open to going through the process, listening to your recommendation and be convincing around that and connecting around that recommendation. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we like to say at Aslan, or I like to say about what I do too, is that the reason that what, the reason I know what we do works is I have to do it when I sell, of course, but also it's not just for selling. It's in other words, selling is yes, sell the product I sell, but it's also, I have to sell ideas internally. I have to sell ideas externally. I have to sell ideas to a boss. Oh, totally. I want to sell idea to a colleague. I have to do the same thing. So the one is start with the end game. Where do you want to go? 
So whether you're a salesperson, where do you want to go? How much do you want to earn? Would mm-hmm. you like to be promoted? What's in, do you want to just retire here? What's, what's your end game? As a sales leader, hey, this is my first sales job. What's next for you? Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to, my next job could be, I want to lead a team who manages teams. Great. If you're a CEO, what's the culture? Where do you want to go? What's happening? Yeah. What's the results you want? I start with the results and I back up and we have the saying at Aslan is that the truth is, the truth is not truth versus lie. The truth is if this is where you want to go, here's the required work to get you there. Another analogy I use is like personal training, right? If I was wanted to lose weight, get better, lower my blood pressure, improve my muscle mass, I can do it myself. I'll go to the gym, say, I'm going to do 25 push-ups. Maybe I do 22 and I go, that's enough, whatever. If I'm there with a trainer, she says, where do you want to go? Well, here's what I want my blood pressure to be. Here's where I'd like my cholesterol yeah. to be. Here's where <laughs> I'd like my weight to be. He or she's going to say, okay, I got it. Here's what it's going to take. If you do it, chances of it happening are going to work out. If you don't or you don't believe in it, it's not going to happen. You can't just come and look at the mach- at the at the workout equipment. You actually <laughs> got to do something. Same in sales. Be disciplined about it. Trust me. And every along the way, we I check in on that trust. But start with the end game is the big thing, and say, hey, I can help you get there. But you have to want you have to want what you just said, which is where you want to go. I, I like how you you tabled it to get them on board. That's that. Um... It's interesting, actually, the psychology around it. But th- that leads into my next question, which ar- around that kind of the follow up is when they, you know, when you help them achieve some goal, whether they hit it 100% with a blue knocked it out of the park and they exceeded the goal, or even if they came close, they made progress. Um, have you at that, like, how long typically does that take a sales cycle? So if the company's sales cycle is 18 months, do you follow them for 18 months? Is it, is it half a sales cycle? Like in your experience, how, what's the time duration that you're, that you're kind of monitoring their progress for? Yeah. The, the, but deep, that's another great question because here's, here's what's interesting about that. Part of that is driven by the commitment of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can go all the way up to the president, CEO. Um, or you could have a good CRO or VP who wants to do it, who wants to support it. Um, you talk about horror stories. So let me start by saying this, you know, a horror story in sales training is when a leader or L and D team or somebody at CRO is doing it to check the box. Like part of my job oh. is required to bring training to my sales team. Oh my gosh. It's yes. so obvious. It's so transparent. And the, and, and where you feel it, smell it, taste it the most is with the participants who are in the training. In other words, those who work for that leader, because they sense it. If a leader's in the room and saying, we're committing to this, saying that this is the first two days of what's going to be a process change or a cultural change, or just a better approach to what we've been doing change, set the stage and then do some things along the way, that happens. I think your timeline of 18 months is about, if I work with a company, if I'm still with them 18 months in, we've done a lot. So we've done initial training, sometimes two or three, depending on the size of the team. We've done follow-up. We've probably done the catalyst for the sales leaders. Mm-hmm. And then we've probably done some learning labs along the way. And the beauty about what we learned during the pandemic, silver lining in some cases, is that this technology, Zoom, Teams, Google Meet, allows us to do these check-ins with teams, practice with teams. Re- hey, here's an email I wrote. What do you think, John, in front of 20 of their colleagues and starting to kind of piece it together is a great way to reinforce that. 
So if I'm doing that with a company 18 months out, and I have several, and I have some I've been with them for six, seven years, they're committing to this. They're committing to this. It's a part of their national sales meeting. It's a part of the way they work with each other internally. They're using the tools like a good discovery roadmap or a pre-meeting planner. And they're, and you know, are they perfect? Nobody is. And do we bat 10 for 10? Never. But you know, sales is like a teeter totter. If you can just improve your averages a little bit, two, three or four to four or five or six, that, that one, that other end of the teeter totter goes way up, right? So that that that. revenue progression is pointed in the right direction. And that's, by the way, one other question you're sort of asking is what's that revenue projection look like? Mm -hmm. Well, this is classic, right? You've heard this answer for many different things. You know, we're never as good as it is. And we're never as bad as it is. So, you know, I could be working for your sales team and revenue could scream out the door. Well, yeah. Hey, maybe a competitor went out of business. Maybe timing was right. Maybe you had inventory. Yep. And maybe part of that was better conversations with the customers. Probably is. On the other hand, revenue could look the other way. Same thing. Competitor could have answered, or could have come yes. into the business. Maybe we, maybe we, it's not as bad as it would have been. So we try to take a measured approach, you know, um, uh, obviously we want to see a trend up into the right, if you will, but, yeah, but that comes you, with time. You're, you're absolutely right. There's, you know, there's like a, I mean, to be somewhat, try to be in the ballpark here. I wouldn't say, you know, to, to be facetious a little bit, I'd be like, there's a million things involved in, in getting a sale done. Right. Hmm. It may not actually be a million. It might be like, I don't know, I'm going to guess like between a hundred and 200 successful steps that a sales rep or sales executive has to traverse to, to close that, bring that deal over the finish line. And like you mentioned, there's a bunch of, there's like, it's kind of the nature versus nurture psychology in terms of the nature is the sales rep themselves. The nurture is the, sorry, the, yeah. And the, the nurture is the environment in which that sales rep is actually playing in. Right. And yep. so that, 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 uh, kind of that tug of war between what a sales rep can do on their own versus the environment that they're placed in. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, the economy, inflation, there's all these other, these attributes, these, all these other impacts that are, that are influencing the, the opportunities that are, that they're, that they've opened. And I think what, what I'm hearing you say is, uh, when you come in, you try to like change the, the slope of performance from wherever it might be, whatever the status quo is, just a little bit by, you know, one, two, three, five percent mm-hmm. and maintain that slope at that increased. So that regardless of all the environmental variables, there's still going to be progress made versus had you not been there to change that slope effectively, slope of performance. hundred percent. And the way I, and I say it pretty, pretty, I guess, strongly pointedly and, and up front, you know, particularly where I get John, our pricing, John, our inventory, John, Mm -hmm. the competitors, John, this. I say, okay, hear you, but let's control what we can control, right? Let's just take a belief that supply chain is going to be fixed and we've got great people in the company working on that. Let's say that marketing and others and pricing is going to kind of look, take a hard look at pricing. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say that, let's just assume that senior leaders of our team are going to do right by putting together a collection of products and services that make sense. Well, who does that lead? us in this room to do our job, which is to have better conversations, more relevant conversations with the customers from whom we serve so that our role is done too, because we can look around and point fingers at every other part of the organization. But guess what? Some parts of those organizations are looking at us and pointing the fingers at us. So oh, totally. let's, you know, let's do our job and we're great organizations where it really starts to take off is where those things actually do happen. Because, you know, what's the saying, you know, uh, there's a little... 
little fun fact in our wives tale in the, in, in the, in the, in, in the area of training, you know, the CEO, the CFO says to the CEO, you know, what if we train up all these people and, and they then leave. they leave? Yeah. And the CEO is like, well, what if we don't and they stay? Right. <laughs> so it's the prism of what, what, what are we working on here? Right. Which one, what side of that prism do we believe? This is a cost center and it must be done. And I'm afraid people are going to leave with the talents we taught them or no. If I invest in them and make them better, they'll be a contributor to this organization. And I need that because that's the heart blood of my art. So, you know, that's the two things we kind of, the, the two sides of the equation we try to balance or, or at least, you know, what people see. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a great, that's a great summary, actually. Um, John, I think we're coming up at time. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Is there anything that, that you'd like to share with the audience that we didn't get to cover in particular? No, I think we did a good job. There's a lot, as you said, you know, a lot of uh, levers uh, for sure. Um, no, what I what I what I would say is kind of uh, where we were getting to in the middle is that if you're a seller, one, mm-hmm. we're never going to bat ten for ten, but we can get better, and we must invest in our skills because in sales, every day we get a little better or we get a little worse. We never arrive. I choose to get a little better. My clients and their teams choose to get a little better every day. So we need to practice that. If you're a sales leader, it's a difficult job. It's an enormous responsibility because that's, this is where scale is driven, right? So if you manage teams, commit to being a good coach, being another centered leader. Yes, you have to manage the business. How are you doing? Where are the numbers? But how can I help you succeed? And, um, and, and if you're doing those two things, if you're investing in those two areas, what I can't guarantee is how much of an improvement, but I can guarantee you will have improvement. That that's great, actually. Yeah, and for for the sellers out there, this is your craft. If this is what you're doing, um, you got to always be working on your craft. And to John's yeah. point, like, yeah, good point, right? Make, make that improvement. Well, John, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for participating, for joining me today, um, and everyone listening. We'll catch you on the other side. Thanks again, John. Yeah, you're welcome. Look forward to being back. Be sure to check us out at www.excelogy.com. 